Welcome to Subject ACT on People Powered Radio 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Bindi Dobbin and it's great to have your company. Today's interview is part one of a two-part Subject ACT series on women, gender equality, the gender gap and the future. My guest is renowned global award-winning journalist Virginia Hausiger AM, who is the founding director of the 5050 by 2030 Foundation at the University of Canberra's Institute for Governance and Policy Analysis. Virginia is also chief editor of Broad Agenda, a blog for broads, blokes, brawn and brain. Broad Agenda aims to build a bridge between academic and public discourse on gender equality. Welcome, Virginia. Thank you very much, and thank you for that very warm welcome. Broad Agenda's actually been around for three years ah. now, so we, we launched in 2017. So the, the blog operates as well as or on the side of the foundation? Yeah, it, it's actually more than a blog. Um, Broad Agenda, I established in 2017. In fact, I launched it on the 8th of March, International Women's Day, in 2017, before we launched the 5050 Foundation, which was launched in September of that year. Uh, and the reason I did that is because it became really apparent to me very quickly as soon as I left mainstream media at the ABC and went to the university and, and became um, submerged in, in academia uh, as we were preparing um, the foundation of the 5050 Foundation, it became really apparent to me that there was a real need for a, an engagement platform that that took some of this wonderful material that was around me and that I was encountering, but produced it in a way that was more palatable to a mainstream audience. So the idea was to let's build a bridge between some of this evidence-based academic research around gender equality and bridge it into mainstream media, which is what we've tried to do. Well, you're prolific. I've read quite a lot of it. And, and I must say, you are certainly writing some very interesting articles and, and oh, regularly. Thank you. So thank I'll you. come back to the one that you wrote for the Sunday papers or the Saturday <laughs> papers, which was fantastic. So tell me, what is the 5050 by 2030 Foundation and how did it come into being? Look, I'll, I'll try to give you the short version. It came into being because of an ongoing discussion that was had by myself and colleagues of mine at IGPA, which is the Institute for Governance and Policy Analysis, as you said, at UC. Now, when I was the news presenter of the ABC here in Canberra, um, since about 2010 or 11, I had been made an adjunct professor at UC with IGPA. And so I used to do quite a bit of work with them around uh, various events and, and workshops, roundtables, where we were discussing women and leadership. And the reason for that is because IGPA was set up by a, a very visionary um, academic called Professor Mark Evans, who'd come here from the UK. And he set this up and his expertise is, is governance, good governance and, and democracy, actually. And um, one of the first things he noticed when he started doing some work in the Australian public service is the lack of women in leadership roles. And this is going back to 2010. And he put together, he did a really smart thing. This is where men can be fantastic in terms of, of really supporting the, the progress of women by using their own platforms to actually do something to, to advance not only the cause of gender equality, but to actually say, what can I do? So here he was, the director of an academic institute, and he said, what can I do? So he put together a roundtable of women leaders across Australia, a terrific bunch of women. There are about 
15 of us. And I was very, very lucky to be invited to that. And I remember looking around that room and, you know, there were some incredible women there. But, um, but it was amazing. We, we, so we, we started the discussion. And it's all it was initially was let's talk about what's going on here. And he, as a, as a Brit, he was saying, I just don't get it. I, I look around the APS here and I'm just not seeing women in significant numbers in leadership. Is what happens? That led to a major piece of research that was done by IGPA, which was then, oh, it went on for quite some time. And it was launched around 2015, a report called Not Yet 50-50, The Barriers and Obstacles to senior women's progress in the APS. And, you know, that was the first ever cross-departmental survey that looked at this issue of senior women in the APS across all departments and and what was going on. And it, it was a very expensive survey. It was, it was funded by the departments, the Commonwealth departments, and it involved over 150 one-on-one face-to-face interviews with SES men and women. And by SES, I mean senior executive service men and women. It really unearthed some home truths where people would say things in a one-on-one interview that they wouldn't necessarily say to their boss about, the obstacles and the barriers to women, according to what men thought, according to what women thought. And it was fascinating. So we, I was still working at the ABC as a news presenter and, and I was only involved on the periphery of this. But the group that did it, we kept meeting regularly after that report was launched to talk about what now what do we do? Now, how, how do we advance this? And it became pretty apparent to me that we needed to actually formalise um, our focus and get together and, and set something up where we actually set out an agenda to firstly look at where the knowledge gaps were when it comes to leadership and women in Australia and then look at the research that was required and then also look at how do we introduce or how do we, how do we encourage policy reform and get that on the agenda. So that, that's really how the foundation was born. But it was interesting. Everyone, all the women involved in those discussions were very busy women. And in the end, it became apparent to me that one of us has to quit our job and take this on. So I did. And I was because IGPA the, and the University of Canberra were so willing to to take up this issue. And, um, and it's grown from strength to strength. And I've got to say, the University of Canberra has been phenomenal. It has now backed the foundation, underwritten it for another three years. Uh, Extraordinary. Yeah, it is extraordinary. And and prior to COVID, and luckily I, I I got my bid in before well before COVID, but managed to get a bid in to to build a team of of um, six extra people, um, significant uh, funding, and three years underwriting, and, and we did. And so we've been building that team ever since. And um, even despite COVID, I got six people on board. And so I now have new new directors, and I'm stepping. Uh, well, I've stepped down from that role. Well, I think you're being very modest about your career, and and I think you're even. Um, Canberran of the Year in, oh, in 2019 yes. for your services, yes. not just to the media, but across the community. And, and looking at your background, you've clearly been involved in this area and gender equality and women for a very long time. Uh, look, so. I have. I have. I guess, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? You get to a point where you sort of think, can I keep going, uh, continuing to talk about this if I don't actually put my money where my mouth is? And, and quitting the job, uh, my, my fantastic job as ABC News presenter was a really big decision. But um, I've got to say, once I did it, I never looked back. <laughs> I'm sure we miss you. Oh. Oh, look, there are plenty of other people to, to fill those shoes and have very, very well indeed. So where do you think uh, the foundation is up to now? Around? And are you just focused on public administration or is it really women across Australia? Just to, to put 
um, your listeners in a in the picture by way of explaining how badly Australia is doing when it comes to gender equality. We need to look at some of the data, and I know some people sort of glaze over when you talk about the data, but it's important because if you and I look around at the moment, we see you know a lot of women in a lot of women on television and on the news and reading the news and we see women in public life and we see more women in politics certainly than 20 years ago or 30 years ago, very much so. And and, and we sort of think with if we don't think it through, think, oh, you know, it's not too bad. And if we go back to 2006, the World Economic Forum started for the first year producing an annual ranking of every nation around the world where they sit in gender equality. And they looked at four main things. They're very comprehensive surveys, but they looked at four main things. Political participation, economic opportunity, so women's workforce participation, pay gap, all that sort of stuff, uh, health, health and wellbeing, and education, equality of opportunity when it comes to education. So four main things. 2006, Australia ranked number 15 in the world, right? Now, I remember as a journalist, I was um, really, really disappointed by that figure. I thought, oh, that, that, that's terrible. Now, we, we rank, mind you, of those four themes I just gave you, number one in the world for education, so quality of education. Australia has had more women, more females, more girls coming out of universities with degrees, bachelor degrees or above, since 1995. We've always had more girls coming out with degrees than boys. So Australian girls and women are more educated than men. That's just a fact. So more women have degrees than, than, than men. Do you and know that, whether it's just undergrads or postgrads? That, that's or? Bachelor degrees or above. Bachelor but but it, it, it's an interesting question mm. because it really does, it flips around when we get to postdoctorates and uh, and there's a reason for that too. But anyway, when it, so gradu, uh, undergraduate degrees, yes. But the point is we don't have a problem, a gender inequity when it comes to get education in Australia. Girls and boys have the same opportunity. So we rank number one in the world for equal opportunity when it comes to education. education. But here we were ranking overall, when you take all the themes into consideration, 15 in the world. Every year that report would come out from the Global Economic Forum, and it's called the, sorry, the World Economic Forum. It's called the Global Gender Gap Index. And that report would come out and I'd eagerly wait for it and flip it open to see where Australia was. Every year, we dropped down the global ranking. Every single year, bar 2017, where there was a bit of a glitch and we went up two points and then backwards again. So we now sit at number 44 in the world for gender equality. Since when? Since when? Last year, we, we sat at 20, uh, number 44. So when were we number one? We were number 15, number 15. In, in 2006. That's the first year they did no. it. But we're number one in the world for education. We still are number one in the world for education. No problem but there. But for, for political participation, yeah. we've dropped right down. Health. For health, we've dropped way down. That's extraordinary. We're way, way down. And one of the reasons for that is because initially they weren't taking the uh, Indigenous health into account. But there are some terrible issues there, as we know. But... Anyway, so we're way down for health, but way, way down for economic opportunity and political participation. Now, the fact that Australia now sits, we're the, one of the richest countries in the world and we have the greatest educational opportunities for girls and women. The fact that we sit at number 44 in the world for gender equality is, is shameful. It is, it's actually quite disgraceful. 
So what we're seeing when we see all these women out in public life and in, and in the corporate sector and we see women in key positions and women CEOs and, gosh, goodness me, we've even had a female Prime Minister and goodness me, we've even had a female Governor-General. What we're not seeing, we, we often see one woman and we think we see 20, mm. so that's one problem. But the other is what we're not seeing is the blockages that are occurring. So women have the opportunities up to a point and then it stops. And that pipeline that you and I know very well just is so clogged, whether it's going into the public sector leadership or it's going to private sector leadership or whatever it is you're doing. Women hit hit barriers that we don't talk about. And, and a lot of that discussion is what the foundation, the 50-50 by 2030 foundation, uh, is working on. We want to see men and women equally sharing key leadership roles and key decision-making roles by the year 2030, across Australia and across our region. If you've just tuned in, this is Subject ACT on 2XFM 98.3. I'm talking with Virginia Hausiger about the 5050 by 2030 Foundation. We're also looking at social attitudes to gender equality in Australia and where Australia sits in the world rankings. And given it's now 2021, <laughs> how likely sticking. do you think that is? Well, it's an interesting one. Um, when I set up the foundation, um, I, I, I did this funny little thing where I, I went with a, a, a student with a video camera across campus asking students if they thought we would reach our target. And this was in 2017. And all the students at University of Canberra were so optimistic about gender equality at the time. And a number of them said, oh, I reckon you'll reach it in a couple of years. <laughs> Everyone thought 20, or just about everyone I interviewed, Vox Popped, thought that 2030 was, was being far too pessimistic. Here we are in 2021, and I can tell you that we're not going to reach that target. And that doesn't surprise me, and I guess that's mm. the worrying thing about mm. what our policies and legislation is about, not just in the mm. public sector but the private sector, but also about women ourselves mm. um, and, and what we want for ourselves. Mm. You know, what's the plan and, and is, are we holding ourselves back? And some of, the, uh, some of your studies would seem to indicate that, um, you know, our social norms, our frameworks, our backgrounds, our families are indeed holding us back. Well, look, we get into really dangerous territory when we talk about this, but let's talk about it anyway. But I, you know, I, I often get a lot of uh, nasty social media trolling when I when I talk about this. Turn it off. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Uh, well, sometimes it just makes me laugh. I think, really? Um, look. One of the issues that we have never grappled with correctly or we've never really grappled with in Australia is what happens at home. We can talk gender equality until we're blue in the face. And I have some you know, wonderful men around me who really do make a difference and really in their workplaces are really good at saying, hang on, hang on, this panel's got too many men or where are the women on the shortlist for this job? They're really good at that stuff. But when it comes to home... What happens in the house? And I don't mean just the unpaid work and the domestic chores. I mean decisions around whose career takes prominence. I, I, I um, well, I've been married twice, and I've had, you know, I have fantastic men in my life and fantastic husbands, both of them. And but I don't believe that you can, particularly if you have children, which which I don't, but but my husbands have. But when 
I, I don't believe you can have two two sterling gold careers at the same time in one household. We have to compromise and take turns, I think. If you're doing very big jobs, for example, in Australia, because of our tax and transfer system, we really have developed a, a model that is based on men being the chief breadwinner and the second earner, the being the secondary earner, the primary caregiver being a secondary earner of lesser value. And that that is, we have a number of policies that impact that. And as a result, we've seen this through COVID. It was really interesting. When suddenly here we are with women and men thrust out of their workplaces and back home and having to homeschool kids, well, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Who's going to, if, if, if both those parents are full-time and it, the realisation, and I heard this story many, many times, and we've at UC and at the 5050 Foundation have done some, some really good research around this. If you've got both parents working full-time, for example, suddenly they, someone's got to homeschool. You can't just, you know, shut the door and tell the kids to homeschool themselves. And so the discussion is held between the parents, okay, look, one of us has to give up a couple of days of work invariably, in 90% of those cases, I'm being generous here, it's probably 99%, it was the women who gave up time because they are being paid less and their job is considered to be of less financial value, value, therefore of less value. This in itself, even subconsciously, what that tells women about their own value and their own contribution is, is really powerful. And these are the things that we don't talk about. The unpaid care work that women do, the family management that women do and take upon themselves whilst they might be running their own you know, business or doing their own job, um, still taking on the lion's share of running the family and the domestic unpaid work and, and, and unpaid care when it comes to not just children but, but um, elderly parents, extended family, um, Which even, are all the things that unfold in front of us yeah, at various times in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we just haven't grappled with this. And and you referred to our other um, uh, research around um, gender equality attitudes. We launched this in 2018 and it, it was so disturbing to, for me. I found this really depressing and I, I didn't want the survey to be true. But we found some, some worrying data around what... Um, men, particularly young men, millennial men, what they actually think about what's appropriate for women to do once children come along. And, and what was being reflected is a huge proportion of young men actually believe, holding very traditional views about women's role once children become part of the equation. So these are things that hold women back no matter how educated they are, no matter how ambitious they are or smart they are. These are the sorts of barriers and walls that women are, to some of, that they are hitting that we we just haven't got our heads around. And do you think women also support that? Uh, you know, I guess um, we will be talking with somebody that's, uh, as you just described beautifully, they both have uh, big careers in mid to late 40s and they have to decide who's going to do what and who's going to be the house husband or wife to be able to cope. 
um, to be able to give them both the opportunities. So it's a negotiation for them because they want to have, you know, a happy marriage, happy life, happy children and a career. And it, and it is a conversation that I, you see not necessarily happening. Um, and it often is the women that, that do have to, to give to give up their opportunities. But equally, I'm, st- I'm seeing a lot in the of young 30, 40 year olds that got kids, whatever, but they're not they're not yet looking at boards or mm. there seems to be that frame of reference. And I guess COVID's going to be very interesting to see what happens with people are back in the homes. But what's your frame of reference? Is that what you're bringing to the table, which is, I think, what you're alluding to? If, if I've only ever lived in Sydney, even though I might travel every year and I might spend one or two years away, if I'm just with living my life within a 30k mm. radius, that's my frame of reference, mm. no matter where you are in the world. Yes, I think it's a really good point. Yeah, and it's a really good point. You know, that that old saying that, you know, you can't be it if you can't see it um, is is so very true. And in Australia, despite the fact that, as you and I have discussed, we're we're good travellers, we're good tourists, our understanding of how other nations do this is really quite, quite narrow. So my frame of reference for how it can be done differently and, in fact, done better is always overseas. And when I look, for example, at the Scandinavian countries, the Nordic countries, when we look at that global gender gap report, that index that I I spoke about that the World Economic Forum puts out each year, every year the top 10 is pretty much the same. Iceland, for example, is always number one. It has been number one for the last 11 years. When we look at what – and Finland – Um, Germany does well, but Finland, Norway, um, Iceland, when we look at what they're doing, it's really interesting because it's not just policy-driven and what they're doing, but attitudes, cultural attitudes are so very different. We take Finland, for example. Finland has a a very young Prime Minister, Sena Marit, who was voted in, I think it was in 2018, she leads a coalition of five parties um, and she's Prime Minister of the government. But the, in the, the five parties that make up government, every one of them is led by a, a woman and three of those leaders are all in their 30s. Uh, one has just turned... 40 and there's another who's in her early 50s. Now that in itself says something but what's even more interesting was when Santa Marit became Prime Minister she also very soon after that um, became pregnant with her first child. The attitude in the Finnish media about that is so different to the attitude in Australian media about how a woman can or can't cope in a high-profile job such as Prime Minister if she happens to be pregnant. And the fact that we're even talking about it. Yes, yeah, yeah. But so, you know, when I look at those nations and what they're doing and then and when you visit them, uh, and, and look, I've got to say Holland's a little bit like this um, and I had a sister living in Holland for some time and a Dutch brother-in-law and another sister living in The Hague. And, and when you see how their attitude around managing their careers and children, the shared nature of it between father, mother, you know, partners is so very different. Gives them a choice, gives them opportunity. Yeah. And it's just so very different. It's it's just sort of taken for granted that, oh, gosh, we're, you know, a couple of people are having a, a baby and it, it, they 
they approach it as a shared enterprise, as a shared endeavour. In a way, we just don't. And I think I, I mentioned to you about you know the Middle East, where sixty percent are under the age of thirty. So when you look at government now, all of the government ministers are thirty and and younger. So you have minister mm. for AI and minister mm. for happiness and all <laughs> sorts of things. But it is very much about youth circles and getting that input. And you know this, the the fact that the education is so embracing in STEM for women, much more the hardcore skills than we're seeing. We're still seeing a lot of soft focus skills here within Australia about careers for women. It's an interesting thing, as I say, you know, don't underestimate Australian women, as I say, are more educated than men. We know that. Um, and, and don't underestimate Australian women's ambition. Um, I mean, I, I, I talk to a lot of young girls and speak a lot of schools and what have you, and I'm blown away blown away by these young girls and young women at universities as well. They're incredible. They're incredible. So there's no lack of ambition. Ambition is not gender-based. Um, and, and they see for themselves very, very bright futures and they think they can do anything and they can fly to the moon if they want to, they think. What happens is as they get older and as they work through their careers and start to try and blend family life, if they do, with a career. And it's not – I didn't have children. I still hit barriers. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in my – as I was progressing my career uh, as a single woman, actually. Um, but I still hit barriers, you know, and, and barriers where because of the way a job was shaped – um, for example, at one stage, I, I really wanted to be a correspondent. But to be a correspondent and to be to actually be a correspondent meant you had to be incredibly available, flexible, around the clock, all the time, and you couldn't have a pet fish. And in fact, it's true. I I did I did have two pet fish, and I went overseas once for a week, and I came back. I walked back in the door in my apartment two months later, and I did have two fish, and of course they were dead. I mean, you know, you but because I glad you didn't have a dog. No, yes, thank God. But I mean, my point being, uh, to do that job, I knew I really couldn't excel at it unless I was twenty four hours a day. I was twenty four hours a day, completely available, on call all the time, and for me, that meant being single. So I stayed single, and I happened to be working on a, a fantastic program at the time at Channel Seven. There were five of us, and. Um, uh, well, the six of us actually, six reporters, and three women, and all of us were single. It's the only way you could do the job. So, you know, it, it's not just about having families. It's about the way jobs are structured. It's about the way workplaces are structured. Until we rethink all of that and actually really get serious about, you know what, anything's possible now. We can all work differently. We're going to change this. Until we actually do that, I'm concerned that all these wonderful, young, uh, enthusiastic, ambitious young women may slide back into mm. situations that are dominated yeah, and dominated by traditional mm. values. Mm. Um, Sorry, I shouldn't say traditional values, traditional thinking rather than values. Thank you very much, Virginia. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. That was Virginia Hausiger from the 5050 by 2030 Foundation. We've been talking about social attitudes and gender equality to women in Australia and across the world. We've also been talking about the foundation, its objectives and how it looks for the future. Tune in next week for part two of our series when I speak with Nicola Wakefield-Evans, the chair of the 30% Club Australia, and Nicole Duncan from South 32. Stay listening to People Powered Radio 2XXFM 98.3 for more great programs. Don't forget, you can stream us live and listen on demand on 2XXFM.org.au. I'm Bindi Dobbin and thanks for listening.